Well, I've been getting uh, ready for this message this week. I've been thinking a lot about time and how time is a weird thing. It's a strange thing. I've also been thinking how time is a valuable thing. You can watch it fly by as the pendulum swings. Watch it count down to the end of the day. The clock ticks life away. But that's a different, that's a different sermon. And some of you who know what I'm referring to, thank you. But I haven't been thinking about time, and it is a weird thing. Um, because time's not a thing. It's like it's just this concept that we live our lives by, but it's like it's, you can't hold it. You can't touch it. It's just, but it's there. It's like, it's like what's shaping and guiding pretty much everything that we do. I'm like, okay, so what, what do you do with that? And and not only is it weird and you can't really touch it, and it's just, but it's there. Like there's this chronology that we experience things on. There's really three broad categories of time. There's the past, there's the present, there's the future. The past is what's already happened. You're really glad you came to church today to learn that, right? The future hasn't happened yet, and the present is what's happening right now. Um, and even though those categories exist, we only ever actually experience the present, like, you never actually experience the past, because when you experience the past, it was the present, not the past, and you won't experience the future, because when you experience the future, it'll be the present, not the future, and you're like, what, what is that, okay? It's like, it's always, just, it's always just right now, and even though it's always right now, like, there's something about the past, and there's something about the future that both intersect and affect how we, how we experience the present. And I, I think what would be true for us is a couple of things. Number one, that we need healing for, from and for our past, and we need hope for our future, but we need to actually, it needs to be tangible enough that it's real in the present, not just like off somewhere ethereal. Like we need healing for our past. Um, every single one of us is carrying something from our past that is impacting our future whether, or our, our present, whether it's big or small, right? There's, there's pain, there's regret, there's mistakes that we've made, there's things that we've done, there's things that have been done to us, there's just junk that life threw our way and we're like, what do I do with that? Because that's definitely affecting how I live my day to day right now. Or even if the past was like good, like sometimes we have a tendency to kind of look at the past with so much nostalgia and like rose colored glasses, like it was wonderful and I'm trying to relive that now and I think we need healing from that as well, because I, I think when we get super nostalgic about the past, it's actually more of a reflection on the future, because we don't have a strong enough, enough, strong enough hope for the future to actually think that's worth living for. And so because tomorrow doesn't seem like it could possibly be any better than yesterday, I'm going to live today like it's still yesterday. Like, this is so prevalent in our culture right now, um, which, I mean, I'm, on one hand, I'm okay with because there is such, like, a drive and a throwback in fashion and culture and movies and music back to, like, the 80s and 90s right now, which is just fantastic. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, it's great. Um, but one of the reasons that works so much is because we're like, oh, remember the good old days. And we're really being confronted, too, with a time right now where, like, the younger generations, millennials, Gen Z, those who are coming behind us, are like... It's the first time in many generations that we're faced with this reality that the future is not probably going to be any better than the past was. I mean, that was, that was always, always an untenable thing anyway, that it's always going to continually get better and better and better and better. Like, there's this idea, it's like, it's going to be better for us than it was our parents. It's going to be better for us than it was our parents. And we're kind of coming face to face right now with like, mm, I don't know if it's going to be. And so there's like, well, what about hope for the future? And what about the junk in the past? And what, what about right now? I need something right now that will do something for both of those. And good news I think Jesus speaks to both of those things. We're going to encounter that in uh, our text today. Um, we're uh, in a passage that there's a lot that can be taken out of it, and it's a lot of verses, so we're going to go through it pretty quickly. And I want to kind of arrive at this idea of the way that our present is affected by both the past and the future and what Jesus has to say about all of that. So we're going to be in John chapter 11. Uh, we started this, this passage last week. 
We look at the first part of John 11. It's this famous miracle that Jesus does um, where he raises a dead man named Lazarus from the dead. Except last week, we didn't get to the good news where he raises Lazarus from the dead. We just kind of left it at Lazarus is dead. And so let's just sit in that for a while and sit in that tension and that, that uncomfortability for a while. Um, and we, we kind of dove into this, this paradox of the Christian faith. That, that like God loves you, Jesus absolutely loves you, uh, that, that he showed up on the planet, God in human flesh, walked this planet, showed us what it means to truly love God and love neighbor. He died an excruciating death for something he never did because he loves you and I. So he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and there is overwhelming historical and rational evidence to like point to that. And so it's like, he loves me in that way, and yet at the same time, I have the lived experience of the fact that life is awful sometimes. It's like both those things are true at the same time. We just kind of we just kind of say, hey, sometimes we just got to live in that space. And that's where it was left with this story, with this news that Lazarus is sick. And, oh, no, Lazarus has actually died. Today we pick up where Jesus and the disciples make their way to Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and the group that is gathered there to mourn over Lazarus. So John chapter 11, starting in verse 17, here's what we read. that When uh, Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and uh, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. And so John uh, gives us a, a couple of details um, here in this, this passage is what's going to set things up. Jesus and his guys, they show up, uh, and it's four days later, four days after um, Lazarus has died, four days since he's been in the tomb, uh, really four days since uh, these messengers came to Jesus to tell them that Lazarus was sick. Uh, we had talked last week that... Uh, where Jesus was compared to where Mary and Martha was, it was about a day's journey. And so it took a day for the messengers to get from where they were to get to Jesus. And it would have taken a day for Jesus to get from where he was to get to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then he waited for two days. And so when the messengers leave Mary and Martha in the morning, Lazarus is sick. By the time they get to, to Jesus, he's dead. And so John's like, I just want to remind you of the chronology here. And uh, he also lets us know that Bethany is right outside of of Jerusalem, about two miles journey. Uh, and so many people from the city come out to comfort Mary and Martha. Uh, this was part of their custom was this, this grieving and this mourning process where the Jewish people would mourn for weeks um, and people would come and mourn with them. They were actually hired uh, mourners. You could pay people to come and to grieve and to mourn with you. And so this is the scene. Lazarus is dead for four days. There's been four days of just weeping and mourning and wailing and all these people there um, to mourn with this family. And Jesus shows up onto that scene. And as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And so Martha's in the house, and she sees Jesus coming. Jesus is always traveling with like an entourage. There's at least 12 other people with him, probably more. And they're there, and they're, they're weeping, and they're mourning. And I can just imagine, off in the distance, here comes Jesus and his guys. And Martha's like, I'm not waiting for you to get all the way here. I'm, I'm going out to meet you. So she goes out to meet him. Mary remains seated in the house. We'll get to her in a little bit. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Martha sees Jesus coming. And I think it's interesting that the first thing that she says, or at least the first thing that John records for us that's important enough for us to know, the first thing that Martha says is, Lord, if you were here. Right away we're, we're confronted with this reality of here, here's Martha experiencing her present moment, and it's one that's full of grief, and it's one that's full of pain because of something that has happened in her past. It was the recent past, it was only four days ago, but still, it was something that happened in the past. And here she is saying, Jesus, if you had been here then, things would be different now. And 
she frames it as a statement, right? If you had been here, but you weren't, my brother wouldn't have died. But I think we could probably frame it as a question as well. And I would dare to venture a guess that most of us had probably said something like this at some point or another, or asked a question like this, Jesus, where were you? Where were you? You, you, weren't, you weren't here when I needed you. Where were you? Where were you when my brother was sick? Where were you when he died? Why weren't you here before Jesus? Where were you? And we're brought back into kind of the paradox that we looked at last week of, okay, Jesus loves this family. John goes out of his way over and over to remind us Jesus loves Martha and loves Mary and loves Lazarus. Jesus loves them, and yet here is Martha with like my pat. Where, where was the you that loved me, you know, four days ago? Because that's when I needed you. We're confronted with a God who loves us, and yet what is going on? And this is... It relates to experiencing that, like knowing the, the love of, of God to knowing a God who loves you and who's crazy about you. The, the biggest obstacles to that always exist in our past, right? There, there's something yesterday, there's something five minutes ago where it's like, okay, God loves me, but I don't know if I can fully embrace that and accept that and experience that. You know, for some of us, it's like, what's in my past that prevents me from truly living in and accepting and experiencing the love of God are things that I have done. Or it's just like, I've, I've done too much. You, you don't know who I am. You know, like the, there's pain and regret in my, my past and I am responsible for it. I'm like a terrible person. I did that. I said that. I was that. I lived that. Like there is no possible way that I could actually be loved by God right now. And that past might be five minutes before you came here this morning. It may be five years ago, but it's like, there, no, there is something you don't understand. I'm not the kind of person that, that like does the God thing. I hear about this, this God that loves people, but I am not one of those people. And that's one of the things that's in our past. Or sometimes the thing that's in our past is what's here with Martha, where it's just like stuff has happened. And it's like, you love me, but where were you? Where were you when that happened? Where were you when I lost them? Where were you when I was abused? Where, Jesus, where were you? There's pain. And Martha is living in it in her present. One of the things that I love the most about Jesus, it seems like every single interaction that he has, he always has somewhere where he wants to take people. He always has something that he wants to accomplish and faith that he wants to bring about and, and reveal who he is. He always has this destination in mind of where he wants to take them, but he's willing to start with wherever they start with. Like whatever they come to him with, he's like, okay, I guess that will be our starting point. I'll take you right where you are and get you where you need to go. And so he does that with Martha. Martha's like, okay, here's this thing in my past. And Jesus is like, okay, I can, I can work with that. If I had been here, um, let, me, let me shift your focus from what happened four days ago to the future. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Let's talk about the future. Martha. He will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so Jesus is like, well, let's talk about the future. There's, Lazarus, he's, he's dead, but it's not permanent. And Martha's kind of like, yeah, I, yeah, I got it. I know. Okay. I know, I know, I know. Right? Like this idea, um, to me, as, as I read this, this is kind of like when we say almost trite things, like trying to comfort somebody, trying to help somebody who's going through like loss or something, and they've, they've lost a loved one, and they're like, hey, they're in a better place right now. You'll be reunited someday. And you're like, okay, I, I recognize that that's true, but what does that do for me right now? He's like, she's like, I, I know that he'll rise again in the last day. That might be 1,000 years from now. It might be 10,000 years from now. That's not helping my present reality. The, the Jewish people had this, this understanding of resurrection that we talk about, um, that there would be an, an age to come when the kingdom of God was established 
on earth. There were kind of two views in Judaism at the time of Jesus. Uh, one was held by this group of teachers called the Sadducees. And uh, in our day, we would probably call them the more like liberal leaning theologians because they did not believe in resurrection or life after this. They're like, nope, there's just this. Get out of here with that afterlife kind of stuff. Uh, the other group was the Pharisees. They did believe in resurrection when they opened the, the Old Testament scriptures and looked at that. Uh, and Jesus believed in that as well and taught that. Um, and, and most of the people during Jesus' day had that view as well, that resurrection was a reality, framed by things that they would read in the Psalms and framed by things that they would read in the prophets. Like the prophet Isaiah 65, he talks about this, this beautiful reality of when the effects of sin are no more and, and God's kingdom is here and it's established and it's beauty uh, and God's faithful people from ancient days until the present would be raised up. And so Martha's like, I get that. I understand that, that he will rise again in the resurrection. And again, I just love Jesus because he's like, okay, okay that, that's where you're at right now. Let me, I've got you from looking at the past and now you're looking at the future, but that you're still not where I want you. Martha, you, you know, you have this hope that seems so far off that he'll rise again in the last day. The resurrection is an event in the future, but Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's like, Martha, 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 yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you have a category for future resurrection. That's a good thing to believe in. That's a true thing to believe in. But what you're missing out on is what I'm telling you, that resurrection in its essence is not a future event. It is a present reality. It is a person, and you're standing talking to him right now that you don't have to wait for resurrection for thousands of years. You're, you're, you're having a conversation with him. I, I'm, this, is, this is one of the beautiful things we don't often think about. It's like, Jesus, there is this future hope of resurrection, but what Jesus does is he brings the future hope and drags it into the present and plants it in our present reality and says the future is right now. That yes, there's a future hope, but it starts right now and you start living in it right now. I am the resurrection and the life. It's available to you here and now in this moment. And what was true, what Jesus said 2,000 years ago is true right now. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You are living a resurrected life if your faith is him, in him and it starts right now. You have life and it starts right now. It's not something that you're waiting for. It's not like, man, you know, 50 years, 60 years, 80 years from now, whatever that looks like. Then, you know, after I, I die, I'll experience resurrection. Then after I die, I'll experience eternal life. He's like, no, no, you, you've got this ca these categories all mixed up. I am the solution to the brokenness in the pain in your past. And I am the, the, the hope of your future but I am available right now in your present. You don't have to wait for that. On the resurrection and the life, he talks about resurrection, and it's this idea that the New Testament talks about uh, Jesus being resurrection, uh, that he is the first fruits of resurrection. And so that is, he is the first uh, among more, among much, among many, that, that Jesus, he rises from the dead. And when he rises from the dead, he's got this physical body, uh, he, he tells the disciples, like, look, you don't believe me. Like, I'm not a ghost. Like, you can touch me. You can feel me. Here's where my scars are. And he's got this resurrected body, but it's like a glorified body because he can, like, walk through walls and stuff. And you're like, do we get to do that? I don't know, but it's kind of cool looking, right? But Jesus, he says, it's, it's him, but he's this resurrected body, a physical existence. And the New Testament authors say that's the first fruits, that we, if our faith is in Jesus, our hope is not a disembodied eternal future floating on clouds. It is physical bodies in a physical existence because the whole creation is gonna experience resurrection where we experience life as it was meant to be before sin and brokenness entered into the world. I'm the resurrection. If you believe in me, you will never die. Or even if you do die, you will live. And you're like, what is that? 
Here's the thing, like death, you won't die in the sense that death is a permanent thing. Like you'll die, but you won't experience death, if that makes sense. Because death by its definition is permanent. End of the story, close the book, it's done. Death, it's the last thing. There is nothing after that. Death is permanent. And so if death is no longer permanent, it's no longer death. It's something different. So yeah, you'll, you'll experience this blip, this moment where it's like physically I've died here on the earth, but it's just, it's a second. There's something after it. I'm reminded of there's, there's this really beautiful scene in Lord of the Rings. I haven't had a Lord of the Rings reference in a while, so you're welcome for that. It's in the Return of the King, the third movie, and uh, 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 Pippin and, and Gandalf, they're in Minas Tirith, and they see the armies of Mordor just like coming, like it's just, it just blackens the horizon, and Pippin's like, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think the end would be like this. And Gandalf looks down at him like, end? Oh, this isn't the end. This is just part of the journey. Like, like death, it's, it's, just, it's just a moment. It's just the doorway that we all go through. But beyond this, there's so much more. Death is no longer death because of Jesus. I'm the resurrection. And he also says, I'm the life, abundant life and true life. This is a theme. We, we've hit it so many times in the Gospel of John because John just comes after it over and over and over again that in him was life, that Jesus came that we may have life, eternal life, that he's the life, uh, that, that he came to have like, abundant life, have life to the fullest over and over, this idea that Jesus comes to give us life and not just I'm living and I'm breathing because that's biological life. The Greek word is bios. But as John talks about life, it's zoe. It's the life that is truly life. It, it's, it's the difference between actually living and just being alive. He's like, there, there's something, there's a, a quality and a quantity of life that you experience in Jesus that you don't experience anywhere else. And that's not to say, by the way, if you, you know, you're not a Christian or you're still exploring things, that's not to say that you can't experience a good life. You absolutely can. There's a good and a beautiful life. There are common graces that God gives to everyone. But it's, it's to say that when your faith is in Christ, it's like there's another level you weren't aware existed. It's like in retrospect, before I knew Jesus and now that I do know him, it's like when I look at how I experience life now and how good it was is now, when I look at who I used to be, it's like I was a dead person walking around. I wasn't even alive, but now there's so much peace and there's so much joy and there's so much hope and contentment and love. It's like this is really living. I'm the resurrection and the life right now. It's a present reality. I love the way that uh, N.T. Wright puts it. He's a, he's a New Testament scholar super smart, but he also puts things in such beautiful ways. And in one of his commentaries on the gospel of John, he says this, the future has burst into the present. The new creation and with it resurrection has come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. He's like, that's a, that's a future hope. It's a future reality. But Jesus is like, no, watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take that future and I'm going to bring it right into the middle of the timeline. He goes on, he says, Jesus has not just come as we sometimes say or sing from heaven to earth. I can't help but just want to clap. He came from heaven to earth. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> to show the way. Yeah, just don't. Um, as we sometimes sing, which that's true and that's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it's also equally true to say that he's come from God's future into the present. From the future into the present. You guys, like the mystery and the beauty of the Christian faith and just like where this takes your mind. like, what does that look like? That Jesus not only came from heaven to earth, but he came from the future of how things will be, how things should be. And he brought that into the present. He is the embodiment of like, this is what it's supposed to look like. He came into the present, into the mess and into the muddle. N.T. Wright is British, and so that just makes sense that he says muddle there, muddle. In the mess and the muddle of the world that we know, I am the resurrection and the life, he says. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine. It isn't just a future fact. It's a person. 
And here he is standing in front of Martha and standing in front of all of us, by the way, teasing her to make the huge jump of trust and hope. Hey, Martha, come on, just believe, just believe, just believe. And he's challenging her, urging her to exchange her if only, if only you had been here, if only you had been here for and if Jesus, if Jesus actually is the resurrection and the life, what does that mean? What does that mean? I am the resurrection and the life. He tells her, if you, he, he says, if anyone believes this, right, he'll never die. And he asks her, do you believe this? Not like, do you intellectually agree with me, but do you trust, Martha, do you trust that you are standing in front of the one? Are you, you're having a conversation with resurrection right now. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? Because if you do, that resurrection and that life is yours. Martha answers the right way, right? She's like, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. I absolutely, yeah, I believe that you are the one who's bringing all this about. I believe that you are two things, the Messiah and the Son of God. Um, I think John's intentional about putting that phrasing there because you get to the end of his gospel and he's like, here's my point in writing. Jesus did a whole bunch of other stuff, but I've written this so that you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And by believing, you'll have life in his name. And here we have Martha saying, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And I guess I'm standing here talking to the life in the flesh, so I must have life in your name. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. She, hear, she hears this. She gets this news. Apparently, it has an effect on her because she goes back to tell her sister. Uh, having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, hey, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. And as soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. So he's hanging out in the outskirts of town. And the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. So you got all these people who are mourning and grieving with Mary, and they're like, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. We're going we're to cry with you. We're going to weep with you. Um, so they think she's going to the tomb of Lazarus, but she's going to Jesus. And as soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same exact thing that her sister said, verbatim. If you had been here, where were you? You're too late. Where were you? Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This focus on her past and the pain that was there. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved and his spirit troubled. Where have you put him? He asked, asking about where Lazarus was. Lord, they told him, come and see. What's interesting about this is, you know, they ask the same question. Martha says, hey, or says, hey, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And with Martha, Jesus um, comforts her with truth. He's like, Martha, I know you're going through this pain right now, but here's what you need to know. I am the resurrection and the life. And that gets through to her and it makes an impact on her. And so when, when Mary asks the exact same question, or says the exact same thing, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We almost expect the same answer from Jesus. Hey, Mary, I already told your sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. But I think it's important to see that Jesus' comfort comes in different ways for different people at different times, and both are necessary. Because with Martha, he says, here's, here's the truth of who I am and what I'm doing in the world, and this truth is going to get you through. But with Mary... He just enters into her pain. He's deeply moved. 
He doesn't say, okay, Mary, let me tell you what I told you, your sister. He, like, he just, he's deeply moved and says, I am going to hurt with you and just be with you in the pain. So much so that when he gets to the, the graveside, we read this two-word phrase, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is a pretty incredible thing, and it's often, you know, it's like, hey, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And it's like, I don't, want, I don't want to reduce it to just that, because while this may be the shortest verse, this is also one of the most profound things that you're going to find. That, that Jesus, again, enters into her pain, says, I, I, I recognize, I don't, I gave your sister truth, but I just need to sit with you, I need to weep, I need to be with you, and both are necessary. We can't write off either one of these things, and Jesus just weeps. It's a crazy thing to think about, because he knows what he's about to do. Like, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. When they were still back on the, a couple days away, he's talking to his disciples, like, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that, you know, God may be glorified and you may see who I really am, right? And he's like, he knows what he's there to do. He knows in like five minutes from this, this moment that the scene is going to entirely change and everyone's going to be excited and everyone's going to be happy and everyone's going to be celebrating. And everyone's going to be like, yeah, Jesus, you're the best. This is crazy. And yet he still weeps. And there's two reasons why. Number one, again, he's sitting in her pain. He's like, I, like, he knows what it is to feel and experience what we have gone through, to enter into the pain of his friends. But he weeps over the deeper thing, the greater reality of what has caused the pain in the first place. The brokenness and the death and the sickness in the world because of sin. Because what he knows is, yes, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he's going to die again. He might get 20 more years, 30 more years, but, but we are going to be right back replaying this scene at some point. Lazarus is going to die again. And maybe Mary and Martha, they're going to be confronted for a little while, but they're going to be broken again, and they're going to die. And all of my disciples who are here around me right now, they're all going to die. And all the people that I love, and all the people on the planet, and you and I, everyone in this room, and everyone watching online, like, there's just this reality that we, like that's coming for us. Because we live in, in the midst of a broken and fallen world, and he weeps. Which is why, like, Jesus, the miracles are cool. The signs, they point to who he is. Him raising Lazarus from the dead, which he's going to do in a second, is great. But it's not simply the miracles or the teachings that make what, who Jesus is and what he's done that, that make it matter. It's what he did after this. Because the miracles, they, they, they treat like the, the symptoms of what was wrong. He raises a man from the dead. He heals people. He opens blind eyes. Those are, those are addressing the symptom. But Jesus is like, I, I, I want to get at the source. And so here's a resurrection of Lazarus, but the resurrection that will really make the difference was the one that would come shortly after this was his own. As he went to a cross to pay for sin and rose from the dead to release us from the power of death. But in this moment, he recognizes the brokenness of the world and he weeps. One of the reasons I said this is one of the most profound verses is the picture that we have oftentimes is there's almost this like bifurcation of like who Jesus is and then God. It's like we see Jesus weeping and it's like, oh my gosh, the love and the humanity of Jesus and absolutely the humanity of Jesus is on full display here, but we cannot separate the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Like the divinity of Jesus is on full display here as well. That this is the God of the universe weeping like th th this is God because of the pain of the world and of his friends and what they're going through just, just in tears, just broken at the graveside of his friend. Especially 
I feel like it's, it's additionally kind of shocking or, or, or powerful in the fact that this is in John's gospel. And John, he has this very high view of, of Jesus wanting to portray him as like the God of the universe. And in fact, all these like stories and teachings in John's gospel, it's consistently retelling Israel's story from the Old Testament. And it's putting Jesus in the slot of God. Like this just glaring declaration that Jesus is God Almighty, that he is the Yahweh of the Hebrews, that like Jesus is God in the flesh. And he gets into some hot water for that. He says, you know, I and the Father are one, and they want to stone him to death, and over and over and over. And so we see that God weeping. And sometimes we have a hard time because we're like, I, I get Jesus, and I love Jesus, and man, he seems great. But when I hear, think about God in general, or when I read the Old Testament and I see God, like, it's like there's two different, two different people, two different things, two different gods there. But we have to remember that the, the clearest and fullest, most beautiful and accurate representation of who God is is found in the person of Jesus. And so when we come to that, and it seems like there's a confusion or a disconnect between Jesus and, and God, as we might say, that that disconnect exists within our understanding, not within who he actually is. Because the love that he has for us is who he actually is. And he weeps over the loss of his friends and over the effects of sin. And in this display of emotion, the people there say, see how he loved him. But then some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying. We're right back into that paradox we talked about last week. Like he, Jesus, like it, it's, it's clear that he loves Lazarus and this family. But then why is he sick and why did he die? We're in the paradox. Jesus, deeply moved, again, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. This is an interesting moment with Martha. Martha, like throughout this passage, it's just kind of back and forth, back and forth, right? Like, I, I believe, but yet, yeah. Like, yeah, I know you can do anything. I know you're Messiah, but she's like, seriously, he's been dead for four days. Like, I believe you can do anything, but is this a little far? And John highlights this, right, that everywhere else, Lazarus has been referred to as Lazarus, even when the, in, in reference to his sisters, like the sisters of Lazarus. Here, he calls Martha the sister of the dead man. And he, for the second time, mentions that it's been four days since he's been dead. There was this thinking in, uh, in Jewish tradition that, the, um, that after someone died, the spirit would hover for three days. And so, you know, within three days, maybe the spirit would be like, nah, just playing, and like jump back into the body, and the person would come back to life. And he's like, oh, it was a resuscitation, but it wasn't a resurrection. And so it's like, no, it's been four days. He's not just partially dead, all right? He's not, he's not mostly dead. This is not a princess bride situation, okay? He is really dead, the dead man's sister, four days in the tomb, Martha's like, okay, like, Jesus, I've seen you do a lot, but this, this seems like a bit much. And I love it because there's this picture of Martha throughout this passage where it's okay, she trusts, and she still has some doubts and reservations, and that's okay. And Jesus doesn't, like, berate her for that and be like, Martha, don't you know by now? How dare you? Right? He's like, okay, I understand where you are. Just watch. And he says, Martha... Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God, the glory of God, God being revealed for who he is. Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believed, if you trusted, you would see who I am and what I'm here to do? There's something interesting about that is that the thing that it takes to see God's glory, see who he really is, is trusting in him. Because quite honestly, on, 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 you know, if you can think of your life or a time before you were a Christian, there's a time before you're a follower of Jesus that you look at Christians or Christianity and think, I don't get it. It's a little crazy. 
But then it's like you start following Jesus and you trust him and more and more you're like, oh my gosh, he's beautiful, he's amazing, he's the best thing that has ever happened. And he's like, yeah, there's something about leaning into that relationship and saying, you're only gonna fully understand him as you trust him more and more and more. It's not something that's just downloaded right at the beginning. You go, oh, it's like, no, it takes trust. If you trust me, if you believe, you would see the glory of God. And after he had said this, oh, skipping ahead. So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that, you may, so that they may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus, he's so concerned. His ultimate concern is I want people to see and to know that I'm from you, that I'm doing what you, your purposes in the world, that I'm redeeming humanity. Then after saying this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Lazarus, come out. Not stay in your tomb for a while and come out, you know, a thousand years, 10,000 years from now. But Lazarus, I want you to come out right now because I am the resurrection and the life right now. Not in the future right now. I'm healing for your past. He brought this healing, uh, the pain in Martha's past and Mary's past and in Lazarus's past. Lazarus was very much dead. That's a major thing that required some major healing. And there was a future hope of resurrection, but he's like, no, no, no. I'm, I, I want to do something right now. Lazarus, come out. The, the idea is that trusting Jesus is the resurrection in life. It heals our past and brings the hope of the future into our present. That when we trust that Jesus is the resurrection in life, ongoing, present tense, forever and for always in the present, he is the resurrection in the life. Not he was the resurrection in the life 2,000 years ago, but he is the resurrection in the life right now. He was 2,000 years ago. He will be 2,000 years from now. He is the resurrection in the life. When I come, like when I have an encounter with the resurrection in the life, all of a sudden, the pain of my past, it's not that it doesn't hurt anymore or I don't remember it anymore, but it's I can experience a freedom from that, a healing from that. There's a future, that hope that I have, but it's not like, man, someday pie in the sky when I die, I didn't mean to rhyme, but it just happened. Like someday hope's coming, but no, like right now, right now I have hope. Right now I have a reason to get up tomorrow. Right now I can trust that even though things are painful, it will get better because he is the resurrection and the life. And he didn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. He rose himself from the dead and he's alive right now. Like there's something about that that just changes us. And so that's the invitation for every person on the planet. Do I trust that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do I trust that he is who he claimed to be, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead. The invitation is to believe that and to trust that and experience the healing and the hope that he offers right now, day by day, moment by moment, even in the midst of the pain. And obviously there's like the first kind of belief of that, right? And so maybe that, that's you today. It's like, I, I've never trusted this. I've never put my faith in Jesus. And listen, there's a difference between putting your faith and your trust in Jesus and attending church. The big difference. One is something that you go to and you believe intellectually. The other is, no, there's this person and I'm following him with everything that I have. And so maybe that is your step. You never put faith in Jesus. Maybe you've grown up in church and didn't, or maybe you haven't, but it's like the invitation, it doesn't matter who you are. He doesn't, he's like, I don't care about your past. I'm concerned about what I want to do right now to heal you of that and to give you a hope and a future. But there's also this invitation to those of us that have been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years to do this every day. I'm trusting you healing for my past, hope for my future. Because every single day, we are, we are in the tomb like Lazarus and he's saying, come out here. 
Take the grave clothes off. You're not a dead person anymore. But my fear is many times we say, no, I like it in here, Jesus. I kind of like the dead life a little bit. It's, it's, it's comfy in here. It's cozy in here. I like it. It's good. And the only thing that we're missing out on is everything that he wants for us when we do that. And so walk in that, man. Walk in that today, his resurrection, his life that is now available to you, not someday in the future, but it's available to you right now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. I thank you that you uh, love us the way that you do. Um, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to remove any doubts of the love that you have for us. God, that 2,000 years ago, you, you stepped into existence you stepped into space and time. You put on human flesh. You, you know what it is to experience the, the, the human experience with all the pain and all of the heartache and all of the loss and the things that we go through. You have been there and you have felt it. We thank you that you relate to us in that way. We thank you most of all that, that you came to heal and to solve the, the source, the problem, not just the symptoms, but you came to do something about sin and death once and for all that on the cross you gave your life to, to pay for our sin, my sin, everyone in this room, everyone on the planet, past, present, future, it is forgiven. We thank you that you rose from the dead, releasing us from the power of death, of our trust and our hope is in you. I pray that we would be people that just live in that freedom, that we know who you are and what you've done and who we are in you, that we have resurrection in life right now. And so God, through the power of your spirit, as we leave this place and go out into our, our days and our weeks, Um, that that would be the truth that rings the most clearly and loudly over all the others, that you are resurrection, you are life, and it's true now, and it can be true for all of us. pray this in your name. Amen.